We've been looking at some of these social apps and the idea that, that God has created us to be social. He's wired us to, to want relationships. And the first week we talked about what God has given us as people to fulfill that need, the best way He's given us to do that. Do you remember what that was? Church, yes. That God has given us the church. You know, we, we kind of talked about Facebook and how we get little snippets of people's lives but we don't really interact with people. We don't really get to know them the way we're designed to. And the way God gave us to really do that as a group of people is through church, through interacting, through encouraging one another, through lifting each other up, through doing life together. And the church gives us that opportunity. And last week we talked about what? What about Instagram? What, yes, that, that's, we did touch on Instagram. Instagram gives you pictures. It gives you snapshots, little moments in time. But what did that have to do with what else we talked about? We talked about God's Word. And how just like Instagram, a lot of times we get pictures of who God is. These little snapshots of what God does through a sermon, through a devotional, through through something we hear, maybe a little something we read. And we think we know God and we think we know what God's Word does but we don't really have a clear picture of who God is and what His Word does for us if all we ever look at are those little snapshots. So we've got to actually get into the Word of God and read His book to understand who He is and how it encourages us and how it holds us accountable and lifts us up. You see, God, God made us to interact with Him. He made us to interact with other people. He made us to be social. And so tonight we're going to keep talking about that. And tonight we're, we're moving on to a different app that some of you may use to be social, and we're not necessarily going in order, what do you think we're talking about tonight? Talking about Snapchat. Now, I will, I will share this with you, and, and some of you I've already shared this with. Let me ask this first. How many of you have a Snapchat account? Okay, there's a lot of you. I'm just going to be honest with you right now. I don't like Snapchat. I am not a fan of Snapchat, but, but, let me read this to you. Here is, here is what Snapchat's website tells you the purpose of Snapchat is, how it helps you be social. It says, Snapchat is the fastest way to share a moment with friends. You control how long your friends can view your message. Simply set the timer up to 10 seconds and send. They'll have that long to view your message and then it disappears forever. We'll let you know if they take a screenshot. Build relationships, collect points, and view your best friends. Snapchat is instantly fun and insanely playful. Show your friends how clever you can be and enjoy the lightness of being. Snapchat sounds great. You can take a picture, you can send a message, and for, for, for up to 10 seconds, it's out there, and then it's gone forever. You see, what Snapchat promises, guys, in this world of being social, in these apps that we use, what Snapchat promises is that we can say and do some things that we don't ever have to worry about again. If I know I can send a message and 10 seconds later it's gone forever, I can say anything I want. If I know I can send a picture and 10 seconds later it's gone, you could do anything you wanted to. But you see, the problem is that anonymity, that, that, that secrecy, privacy, whatever you want to call it, that Snapchat promises, 
It's not really there. You see, when we get into things like Snapchat and we start using these things, what we do is we, move, we remove accountability from ourselves. We remove it from our phones. We remove it from our lives in certain ways. And there are some folks who are finding out that lesson, specifically with Snapchat, the hard way. I came across this news story online, and here's what it says. <laughs> there are some teenagers in New Jersey that are discovering that fact the hard way. The news story says students at one New Jersey high school could face child pornography charges if found in possession of nude photos of classmates. Explicit images sent via Snapchat prompted a police investigation after two freshman girls shared pictures on the controversial app and later found them posted on Instagram. The Ridgewood High School students sent photos to at least one male classmate who took screenshots in order to save them to a gallery. You see, these two girls decided that because they've got this secrecy and this privacy, they could take explicit pictures of themselves and send them to a guy at their high school and it'd be gone. Ten seconds later, they didn't have to worry about it anymore. But you see, the problem is that's not what happened. Because even if you think that's gone and yes, your friends deleted after ten seconds, if they take a screenshot, so what? All it does is tell you they took a screenshot. You can't do anything about it. You can't delete it. You can't take it off their phone. It's still out there. And the scary part is they've already found a hack around that. You can take a screenshot on Snapchat and it'll never let that person know that you took a, sna a screenshot of it. Anonymity, right? It's gone after 10 seconds, right? But that's not what's going on here. You see, that's the reason Snapchat for me is very scary. Because when we use things like this, we, we remove accountability from our, our phone use. And the way we use our phones, we use our phones in almost every, every area of our lives, don't we? To talk to our friends, to talk to our parents, to take pictures of things that are going on, to save things, to send things. You guys use your phones almost every single day, if not every single hour. Some of you even in school where you're not supposed to. And when, when we start delving into things like this, guys, we start removing accountability from ourselves. We remove it from our phones. We remove it from those areas of our lives. Relying on something that promises anonymity. Relying on something that promises secrecy when the truth is the founder of Snapchat, the guy that created it, doesn't even guarantee that. Here's a quote that he gave. It says, although the app notifies senders if a screenshot is taken of their sent photo, founder Evan Spiegel says the app is not for privacy. Snapchat's privacy policy says it can't guarantee photos won't still be available in some form after the set time has elapsed. The maker of the app doesn't even guarantee privacy, doesn't even guarantee secrecy. See, what that means, guys, is we've got to be careful. When we decide to be social, when we decide to, to, to dig into some of these things and use them to connect with other people, we've got to remember that there's still an accountability in our lives. That we've still got to be aware of what we're sending and who we're sending it to and why we're sending it because we are accountable for the way that we decide to be social with people. 
And tonight what we're going to do is we're going to look at Scripture because we're going to get into God's Word. And I want you to understand that according to God's Word, you and I are accountable in every single area of our lives. And we may think, you know what, I don't have a job, I don't play on a team, I'm not in the band, my parents let me do what I want, I'm not really accountable to anybody. But the truth is, we are. We're accountable at some degree to several different people in our lives. So if you've got your Bibles tonight, or your phones, or your iPods, or whatever you use, I want you to turn over to the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're going to look at this, cha- at this book tonight and look in chapter 5 where Paul is writing to this church and Paul is addressing some issues that are going on in this church and he gets to the issue, he gets to the issue of being accountable. And as we look at this, the first thing that we see, for, if, if you guys have version, if you use that, you can pull up and follow along on version. You just search NFBC space youth and you'll see these same notes on there. But see, the first thing that we see when it comes to being accountable, and some of us don't like this, is that we are accountable to our leaders. That means your teachers. That means your parents. Specifically, what he's addressing here were the leaders in the church, starting in verse 12 of chapter 5 in 1 Thessalonians. Let's look at what he says. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. You see, what Paul's addressing right off the bat here is the way that we treat church leaders. He's talking about the pastors. He's talking about your small group leaders. The people that you serve under, the people that you help. He's telling us that we're supposed to be accountable to these leaders. And the first thing he says right there, we ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. We're supposed to respect our leaders. Respect them for what they do. So he goes on to talk about the time that they spend. That they labor among you. They're over you in the Lord and they admonish you. They look out for you. Because you have leaders, specifically in the church and in other areas in your life, who are there because, believe it or not, even when you don't like what they're saying to you, they're there because they care about you. They're there because they care about the man and the woman of God that you're turning into every single day by the things that you say and the choices that you make and the way that you interact with people. Scripture tells us that we're supposed to respect them. Now, that doesn't always mean you like them, but you can still respect them. I found out this lesson the hard way when I was in middle school. Eighth grade, believe it or not, I took chorus. Yeah, exactly. No, you don't understand, Reed. I don't sing well at all. It's bad. But I took chorus because all my friends were taking chorus and it seemed like a pretty easy class. Until the time when we were told we had to sing a song in front of the school. Yeah. That was my thinking. you got to be kidding me. So I just, that's what I decided. I had two choices. I could either sing, which I wasn't going to do. Or I could lip sync, but I actually took it to the next step. I just stood there. Didn't move my mouth. And as we're practicing, my science teacher at the time happened to be in the the auditorium where we were practicing, trying to help out the choral teacher. And he comes over to myself and my buddy, because we're standing there not singing at all, 
And he starts getting on to us saying, guys, y'all, y'all need to sing this song. You're supposed to be in here. This is what you, we've asked you to do. This is what you signed up to do. You need to open your mouths and sing. Now, me being the very respectful young gentleman that I was, I looked at him, and my friend was smart. He kept his mouth shut. And I just said, why don't you sing it? Yeah. Let's just say my stepmom worked at the school. And very quickly, my father knew what I had done. And yes, I was in eighth grade, but my dad still tore my rear end up when I got home that night. Because I didn't show that man respect. Now, I'll be honest with you, I didn't really like my science teacher. And because I didn't like him and because I didn't really respect him, I didn't treat him with respect. But you know what? Hey. Scripture tells me as somebody who's a leader and has authority over me, they still deserve my respect. Whether I like them or not, whether you like them or not, they deserve your respect. Some of you, and I've heard some of, about some of you sitting in your classes, some of you I haven't heard, but I'm sure you do it sometimes, that you're disrespectful to your teachers. You know what? It doesn't matter if you like your teachers. It doesn't matter. What matters is they're your leaders. And they deserve your respect simply on that fact, if nothing else. So he talks about how we're supposed to respect our leaders, how we're accountable to that. He also uses the word there, esteem. To esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. To esteem means to hold, you hold somebody in high regard. That's like the step above respecting somebody. I can respect somebody and not really like them, but to esteem them, that means I look up to that person. That means I admire that person for what they do. And I know that's hard. I guarantee you, everybody in here, you've got somebody that you esteem, somebody you look up to, somebody that you are willing to give your respect to because you think that they are a good person or a smart person or they're talented or they know more than you do, whatever the reason being. You esteem them. You see, Scripture tells us that we are accountable to esteem our leaders because of their passion, because of their commitment that they have to do what they do in our lives. We don't like that idea of having to be accountable to our leaders sometimes. But in every stage of your life, you will be accountable to somebody. You will be accountable to some leader. Even the day you retire, if nobody else is in charge of you, you're accountable to the government because you still got to pay taxes. And Scripture tells us we're supposed to respect and, if possible, esteem them. We've got to remember that every single day. Remember that in your class tomorrow when your teacher is rattling on and you can't stand the sound of their voice. They still deserve your respect. Yeah, I know which class y'all are talking about. They still reserve, deserve your respect, guys. All right? Hey, let's keep going. We're not naming names. We're, we're accountable to our leaders. Hey, we are also accountable to each other. You and I, guys, girls, we are accountable to each other. Look at what it says in the next verse, starting in 14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, Help the weak. Be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another. 
and to everyone. This is where life starts to get a little uncomfortable. Okay, fine, we're accountable to our leaders. They're the ones over us. But now we're accountable to each other. That means the people you're sitting around, the people in this room, you have a responsibility to. I have a responsibility to. The words he uses here when he's talking about this, the first thing he says is to admonish. You know what that word means? Anybody? Admonish. Admonish. I don't want you to ask Siri. I want you to use your head. Admonish. Come on, some of you older classmates. What's that? Compliments? No. No. To admonish. To admonish means you have a responsibility to correct people. Now, that doesn't mean you can just walk up to somebody that you don't know and say, hey, you're being a jerk and an idiot and you need to stop it before somebody smacks you upside the head. Because I know that's what some of you think it means. You have a responsibility to admonish people around you. To admonish your friends. You know what that means? That means when you see somebody in your life that you know is doing something that is unbiblical. When you see somebody that you know is caught in sin. You and I have a responsibility to go to that person and talk to that person about it. To confront that person about it. Now, Scripture tells us we're supposed to do that in love. Now, we don't like doing this a lot of times because we don't want people to get into our lives and our business. So we tend to stay out of their lives and their business. But Scripture doesn't tell us that's the option we have. That's why in Matthew it actually gives us an outline of how to talk to people about what's going on in their life. It says in Matthew, excuse me, yeah, Matthew 18, starting in verse 15, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. That means if you've got a problem with somebody, you go talk to that person. You don't go talk to your five other friends about what that person did to you. You go to them and you deal with it alone with that person. And then Scripture tells us that if that doesn't work, if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So if you go to your friend and you get nowhere with your friend, then you find a couple other people that will share your concern about that friend and you go together and you talk to them. And you see, this makes us very uncomfortable. Because I don't know about you guys, I don't like being confronted. I don't like people telling me I'm not doing the right thing. But Scripture says that's exactly what we're supposed to do. But it keeps going. It says, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Which during that time basically meant you're just a really bad person and nobody wants to be around you. You see, we talked about that a couple weeks ago when we talked about the idea of homosexuality. And if you've got a friend who's caught in that lifestyle, who's determined to live that lifestyle, you can go to them, you can talk to them, you can share with them what Scripture says, but at some point they've determined that they are not going to stop that lifestyle. Do you cut them off completely? No. But you do let them know that you're not going to support them. You're there if they want to talk to you, you're there if they need you, but you're not going to actively be a part of that knowing sin. 
Scripture tells us that's what we're supposed to do in the lives of each other. Guys, ladies, that means in your life, you've got to find somebody that you are willing to let speak truth into your life even when you don't like hearing it. And that's hard. I've got two friends that know they can ask me anything, even questions I don't want to answer. Miss Kathleen back there, she can ask me anything and call me out on stuff. You've got to have somebody in your life that you will give the freedom to do that to you, to hold you accountable, to help you find your blind spots, those areas where you may not see yourself heading down a bad road, but somebody else that's watching you can say, hey, you're about to mess up big time. We need to deal with this. That's what it means when it says to admonish. Then it goes on and it says to encourage. That's kind of the flip side of admonishing. You go to them, you talk to them, you confront them. Now you lift them up. You build them up. You show them who they are in Christ. You show them what Scripture says. Hebrews 10 says this in verse 23, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, to encourage one another to do what Scripture tells us we're supposed to do. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you guys like to be encouraged? Yeah? It's nice, isn't it? I like, I, I like the commercial. It's not on anymore. But there used to be a commercial about a, a, it was like a soda machine or a snack machine, and the woman walks up and puts her money in and hits the button, and when she goes to open the thing at the bottom to get her food, all of a sudden you just hear this loud applause. Yeah, exactly. Yay! Woo! Clapping! And it was, it was neat to watch the commercial because at first she's kind of taken back. And then she leans over and she opens it again, and she steps back again, and the third time she leans over and she opens it and she just stands there. And smiles. Because it was an encouragement. You see, each one of us, we like that. We like it when people cheer us on, when people lift us up, when people clap for us. We need encouragement. And Scripture tells us we're supposed to give it to each other. Now, I'll be honest with you. I am not the best encourager in the world. If you spent much time around me, you've probably figured that out already. Jack, I like smack you in the back of the head sometimes. But I love you, brother. It's okay. But you know what? I could stand here and say, hey, I'm not good at it, and that's just who I am. Or I can do what God has designed me to do and read his word and see where it tells me I'm supposed to encourage people even when I don't feel like that's something I'm good at. I'm still supposed to find ways to try and do it, to encourage your friends, your parents, <clears throat> your teachers, your leaders. Scripture tells us that's what we're supposed to do. That's how we're accountable to each other. It also uses this word, to help. Do I really need to explain that one? Help each other? That's pretty simple. You know when somebody needs help, help them. Especially your brothers and sisters in Christ. And then it says to get along. If we are seeking to do good to each other, to encourage each other, to help each other, then this last one is not necessarily going to be that hard. If you are looking out for the best interest of the people around you, it's probably not going to be very hard for you to get along with the people around you. See, if we start at the beginning and just do what Scripture tells us is a good thing to do, 
then it makes the rest of the stuff easy to do because it just follows naturally. <laughs> it means we've got to get over ourselves. We've got to be willing to let people hold us accountable. We've got to be willing to get over ourselves because we are accountable to each other every single day. It also says this, we are accountable to ourself. See, now that's, that's a weird thing to think about. We're used to be accountable to other people, to people outside of us. But Scripture tells us we are accountable to ourselves also. Some of you, where is it? Jacob. Where's Jacob? Jacob, Jacob, no. (laughs) Jacob went hiking with me a couple weeks ago. Had a good time. Yes, you did. Remember? It was cold. All that good stuff. Um, One of the things I love about hiking, and Jacob, maybe you experienced a little bit of this, is when I'm hiking... I'm not responsible for anybody. I can go out there. Most of the time my cell phone doesn't work. I don't take any kind of radio music player. I'm not, I'm not accountable for anybody. Now, this time I was because I took a group and I had my son. I was accountable for people that time. But when I've gone in the past, you know, I take my friend with me. He's accountable for himself. I'm accountable for myself. And we don't worry about each other unless we don't both make it to camp that night. Then we got a problem. But when I'm out there, I'm not accountable to anybody else. But I'm still accountable for me. I'm still accountable for what I do, for my own safety, to make sure I eat, to make sure I drink, to make sure I get where I'm supposed to go. I'm still accountable to myself. And that's what Scripture tells us. Each and every one of us, if you're not responsible or accountable to anybody else in your life, you still have a responsibility to yourself is what Scripture says. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Look at what it says here in the next verse. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. To rejoice. No matter what's going on in your life, and I know, and I can only imagine, there's some junk going on in some of your lives. Scripture says we can still rejoice. Scripture tells us that no matter what we face, if for no other reason, the very fact that we're alive, we can rejoice. Look at what it says in Psalm 118. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We can rejoice that God has made us that God has made today, that we are alive and breathing and have the opportunity to be social, and to enjoy what he has made. We have a responsibility because I can tell you right now, other things can upset you, other things can make you mad, other things can ruin your day, but you and I are the ones that can give up our joy. Other people can't take that from you. If your joy comes from God, the only person that can take your joy is you by giving it away to somebody else, by letting them take it. We have a responsibility to ourselves to rejoice in the very fact that God loves us and God made us. And then it goes on to say this. The next one it talks about is to pray. We have a responsibility. We are accountable to ourselves to pray, to spend time communicating with God. I'm going to ask you, how many of you guys pray on a daily basis, even if it's just, dear God, help me on this test? Yeah. A lot of you. 
You see, we're accountable for that. That's how we talk to God. That's how we hear from God. We get in His Word like we talked about last week, for those of you who were in here. And we see who He is. And we understand who He is. And we we see how He wants us to live a life that honors and glorifies Him. But through prayer, we have the chance to talk to Him. Scripture tells us elsewhere that we're supposed to pray without ceasing. You see, I I have a hard time understanding or, or really relating to that sometimes because I'm to pray without ceasing... I think to pray, I need to, I need to sit down and close my eyes and bow my head, and you can't really do that when you're driving down the road. But to pray without ceasing is more of a continual conversation. That means you just talk to God, because He's always there. And I, I, I've talked to Miss Kathleen about this before, and talked to her about prayer, and and that's the way she's explained it to me that that she'll she'll be doing whatever she's doing, tutoring or cleaning the house, and or or, or doing stuff with the kids, and and in those moments, when her eyes are wide open, when things are going through her head, she's talking to God, am I right? And listening for God. See, Scripture tells us that that's what we're accountable to do is to pray, because nobody else. Nobody else can really make you pray. Can they? Yes, you can bow your head and you can close your eyes like some of you do on Sunday mornings when they say, let's pray. But nobody can make you pray. You're the only one that can do that. You're the only one that can hold you accountable for your communication with God. So we are accountable to ourselves to pray. And then it goes on to say this, to be thankful. Anybody here thankful? Tell me something you're thankful for. Your house? What? Somebody didn't try to blow you up. That's a good reason to be thankful. Family and friends. Drew? Parents? Life. Your life. Your life. Food. I'm so thankful for food. I like that one. What's that? I can't speak up. You're thankful for 255 when that bell rings, right? You're out. Okay. Hold on. One more. Grandparents. You see, guys, put your arms down. Put your arms down. Hey, there are so me. Thank you. I appreciate you thinking of that one after the fact. Hey, we all have something to be thankful for, guys. No matter what is happening in your day, there is something to be thankful for, even if it's just the fact that you can walk, because there's people who can't. If it's the fact that you can breathe on your own, because there are people who are tied to machines right now that are breathing for them. You see, there is always something to be thankful for. And the only person that can make us be thankful is us. Because the only person that really knows all the blessings in our life and the things that God has given us and done for us is us. That's how we're accountable to ourselves. But you see, if you're not accountable to anybody else, you're accountable, say, you know what, I'm not even responsible for myself. Guess what? Just like you said it already, Drew, we're accountable to God. We are always accountable to God. We can't get away from that one. And you say, you know what, even when I'm not in church, even when I'm not sitting there and listening to the pastor, or sitting in the small group, I'm still accountable to God on Friday night when I'm doing stuff with my friends. Yeah. We're accountable to God always because God is everywhere. 
Because if God is truly your Savior, if God has forgiven you through Jesus Christ, then we're accountable to Him. Everywhere, every moment, in every single thing that we do. Here's what it talks about in 1 Thessalonians 5.19. It says, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. You see, the first way we're accountable to God is we're accountable to let God work. It says right there, do not quench the Spirit. Did you know that you have the ability to quench the Spirit of God? Now, don't get me wrong. God is God, and God can do anything He wants to do. But you and I do have the ability to quench the Spirit. You can't shut it down completely, but you can quench it. Some of us do it on a regular basis. When you come in here, or on Sunday, and things are going on, and all you're doing the whole time is writing notes and talking to your neighbor, how do you know you're not missing something that God wanted to show you in that moment? How do you know that what you're doing is not such a distraction to the person next to you that you are keeping them from understanding what God wanted them to know in that moment? We're accountable for that. We are accountable when you and I stop the Spirit of God working. And I'm not saying that we are all powerful and we can stop God, but you know what? We can stand in His way. Now, God can still get around us and God can do anything. But we've got to be careful that we're not standing in His way. We're responsible for God to let Him work, to let Him do what He is trying to do in the lives of, of us and other people around us. I know you guys probably get tired of me asking you to, to quiet down and to pay attention and, and stop playing on the phones and stop texting or pictures or whatever you're doing. But you know what? The reason I ask you that is because you have no idea what you might miss because of that. Not because I'm some great speaker and I've just got it all figured out, but because I pray that God is going to use his word to speak into your life. Don't quench the spirit. Let God work in your life and in the lives of people around you. It goes on there to talk about his word. It says, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. It tells us that we are supposed to value his word. You see, at, at the time this was written, there were people in these church, they were prophesying, they were, they were prophesying and they were speaking the word of God, but there were also people in the church who were misusing that ability to prophesy. And they were using it for their own gain. And see, he's telling them right there. I'll read it again. He says that we are supposed to do not, not despise prophecies because some of them are true, but test everything and hold fast what is good. In other words, everything you see, everything you hear needs to be compared to the Word of God. We are accountable to God to value His Word. We talked about the, this last week. That as we get into God's word, we learn who he is. We learn how he wants us to live a life that honors him. And if we don't value his word, then how are we going to know? How are we going to know who God is? And that's written all over scripture. It tells us in Psalm 119.11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We memorize scripture. 
We put it in our heads. We put it in our hearts so that when we get into tough situations or we need to talk to somebody about who God is, we've got the Word of God right there. Whether you've got a Bible or a phone or an iPod or whatever it is you use, you've already got it. It also tells us in Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of souls and of spirit, of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word, it guides us, it protects us, it encourages us, it brings us life. All those things we talked about last week. But if we don't value it, then we miss that. We miss who God is and we miss how he wants us to honor and glorify him through the choices that we make every single day. It is our lifeline to who God is. You want to know God's will for your life? Get in his word. You want to know the decisions you're supposed to make and what you can do to honor God? Get in his word. You want to know how to interact with your parents and your friends, your boyfriend, girlfriend, teacher, anybody? Get into his word because it's there. And that's why we've got to value it. It also says this. We are accountable to God to protect ourselves. Did you ever think about that? You are accountable to God to protect yourself. It says that in that last verse. Abstain from every form of evil. That means you and I have to be on guard. We have to be on watch for when Satan is going to attack us. For when we are going to head down the road to some of those things that are temptations in our lives and know what those things are and know that we've got to be able to defend ourselves against those things. That verse that I used last week, if it's up there, it's 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Guess what? If you are not on guard, if you're not paying attention To your areas of weakness, you're not protecting yourself. And God may provide that way of escape. He may provide that way to endure. And we might miss it if we're not protecting ourselves. It's accountability, guys. It's accountability to God, to ourselves, to the people around us, and to our leaders. And when we decide to be social, when we decide to interact with other people, we've got to remember that accountability has to be in every area of our lives. Yeah, I talked about Snapchat, and you know why I'm not a fan of that. Because it removes that accountability. And although I I hope you realize, as I said, people have already figured out a way around the anonymity that is promised by Snapchat. So you're still accountable, even with that. Guys, you've got to let somebody hold you accountable. Let somebody in your life that will say the hard things to you. That can ask you the questions that you don't really want anybody to ask you. Find somebody to do that for you. That can be a friend. I recommend it be somebody older than you. Because your friends, (laughs) they may mess up too and say, you know what, I'm not going to ask him that question that week because I don't want him to ask me that question. And we're just going to let that one go. No, don't do that. Find somebody that will actually hold you accountable. Somebody older, 
somebody that's walked with God longer, somebody that will in love get in your face and say, stop being an idiot. Stop treating people the way you're treating them. Stop saying the things you're saying. Stop doing the things you're doing. Stop going down those roads that you know are going to lead you into sin. Every single one of us is accountable, guys. Every single day, what we say, what we do, we're accountable to God and we're accountable to each other. And my prayer for you tonight is that you will let somebody do that for you. Ladies, if you need a lady to do that for you, there's one right there in the back of the room. Guys, and I've talked to some of you guys, if you need somebody to do that for you, I will do that for you. Mr. Billy will do that for you. Mr. Greg, Mr. Jerry, all those folks that we meet with on Sunday morning in small groups will do that for you. Let somebody help you. It's that important. Don't remove accountability from your life. Be careful with Snapchat. Please. Because it's a dangerous thing when you start removing accountability. Let's pray. God, God, I know this. what we talked about tonight, God, it's, it's hard. God, letting somebody talk to us in ways that we're not comfortable with, God. Confronting each other. Being accountable. But God, I pray that, that, I pray that you will give each one of us somebody in our life that loves us enough because they love you that will be willing to do that for each and every single one of us. And God, I pray, um, I pray that as we get into your word, we will see more and more every single day how accountable we are to you. Accountable in the way that we live our lives because you love us and you want us to honor you and you want us to glorify you. And God, I pray for this group. I pray for those who aren't here tonight for whatever reason. God, I pray for their safety. But most of all, God, I pray for their relationship with you. God, I pray that you will, God, that you will make Jesus Christ so real in each one of our lives. God, that you will make it a driving force in everything that we do and say, Lord. Help us to know that we will give an account to you for what we've done with Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. And if, if you're in here tonight, and you want somebody to pray with you, you want somebody to talk to about this, you want somebody to hold you accountable. When we break, before you leave tonight, come see myself, or come see Mr. Billy, or come see Miss Kathleen, and talk to us. We're not going to call you out in front of everybody. We're not going to say, oh, look at who came and talked to me. It's not what it's going to be like. But we want to lift you up and we want to pray for you. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us your word that speaks so much truth into our lives, even when we don't necessarily like it. Thank you for holding us accountable. It's in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen.